We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app thanks for listening to the rachel zimmerman show on kmox i'm out of town this week so we're doing some replays the first is a really great interview i did with alder person from the eighth ward kara spencer let's get into it so uh, first things first, tell me a little bit about yourself uh, when you were a kid. What kind of stuff interested you? And did you ever see yourself getting into politics? Well, no, I never saw myself getting into politics. I guess as a kid, um, you know, I was really uh, I played soccer. I was pretty typical, uh, you know, St. Louis kid. I, I did a lot of uh, uh, searching for rocks and creeks and playing with my friends, um, you know, but uh, played softball and that sort of thing. Maybe a bit of a tomboy to some extent, but um but just pretty typical, typical childhood. Um, I didn't even study political science. It was really never on my radar. Uh, I went to Truman State University and studied mathematics and went to the field of mathematics following uh, following my university training and and uh, really kind of came into politics um, almost <laughs> on a whim. Mm. So you said you went to school for mathematics. Mm-hmm. How do politics and mathematics intersect, if they do at all? Oh, gosh, they intersect a lot. I mean, I think mathematics really intersects with every aspect of life. I mean, there's so much, um, you know, logic and thinking and, and critical analysis that's important in every everyday life. But certainly when it comes to um, making political decisions, I'm currently the chair of the Budget Committee. Uh, so going through this year's budget, understanding finances, I mean, a critical part of a uh, uh, critical role for a municipal government really is to have a uh, an economic development plan, you know, a, a plan for the future for the city uh, to make sure that we have a, uh, you know, taxes that can cover the, um, the uh, services that our citizens want, demand and deserve. Uh, and so, you know, uh, understanding the mathematics, the, you know, the, the finances, the numbers behind those things is really important. So you said you got into politics kind of on a whim. Can you lead me up to that point? Like, what was the driving force behind, like, okay, I'm going to do it? Sure. Well, I got involved in my uh, my neighborhood. Um, and at the time, you know, there, you know, I just kind of felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect between the community and, 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 and um, the representative. Of course, I've come to have a different, I think, uh, perspective. But, you know, at the time, you know, kind of, um, you know, thinking about the hurdles involved in, um, you know, putting together festivals like Cinco de Mayo, I, you know, up until the 8th Ward, I represented the 20th Ward, which was uh, just along Cherokee Street in the neighborhood south of there and seeing so much disinvestment in those communities over time um, really started to kind of uh, work within the community uh, I was part of to to think about who, you know, how could we do things differently? Um, what are the hurdles here? We had a liquor moratorium that really prevented bars and restaurants in the community from, from opening up, uh, which makes, you know, without selling alcohol makes it very, very difficult to to run a restaurant. 
Um, and, you know, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of interest in wanting to step up and run for public office at that time. This was, ten, you know, eight, eight, ten years ago. Um, and so I just really decided, you know, heck, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm complaining about it. Um, you know, I had enough interest um, and a little bit of a financial cushion. I suppose there was some luck there on my end. But um, decided to just, you know, hit the pavement um, and, and knocked on every single door in that ward <laughs> that spring and convinced people that I could do a better job. You actually knocked on my door right after you got elected <laughs> to the 8th. And that, that really impressed me because I just feel like you don't see that happen as much. It felt very old school and very <laughs> connected to the community. How important is that connection to you? Oh, it's critically important. I mean, um, especially, you know, switching wards like I did, you know, from the 20th uh, to the 8th. But even running for re-election in the 20th ward, knocking on those doors is really the key piece to to give you the tactile feeling of what is important to, to the community you represent. Um, you know, just knowing, uh, hearing over and over again, the trash, the you know, the, the 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 quality of the streets, those things that are important to people, really drive it home. What it is that as as the local elected official, I should be focusing on, and and I, um, you know, it, it's a little daunting. I mean, it's a little can be a little rote and, and a little bit re- repetitive because the issues are so so. Uh, pervasive, you know, they're so common. Um, but I, I truly do love it. Uh, and it is something that that, uh, that is very, very important, not only to winning an election, but to serving well. So let's talk a little bit about being a public servant in the city of St. Louis. I feel like most of us are connected to national politics. <laughs> and you see these politicians, it seems like they have an agenda. Maybe they're not listening to their constituents that much, but it's like, here's the culture war issue of the day. How much do you balance what you would like to accomplish with what you hear from people? And, you know, like, how do you balance that out and come to your vision of what you want to do? Sure. I mean, if I had my, you know, I mean, you know, it, it is tough to balance those things, but I do uh, try to get back to folks on a pretty regular basis daily, if I can, um, with concerns, uh, with, you know, from everything from as you know, a yeah, dumpster that needs to be replaced to a pothole to the really big issues like regulating Airbnb and other things. Um, I think it's really, really important to balance uh, both the leadership um, and driving an agenda that kind of transcends and what you are elected to do, you know, to, to provide some leadership and really to react and be responsive to the everyday um, um, needs of, of our citizens. So um, it, it is a tough balance, but it's one I think that's really critical to doing the job well. Um, and I enjoy trying to trying to find that middle ground there. How has your day to day changed since uh, the alder person spot has become a full time thing and it's expanded? Sure. Well, the big thing is that it is full time, and so uh, you know I did leave a job at um, a local bank uh, to do this full time when I was elected uh, to the eighth ward, um, and so my day to day, you know, it does allow me to focus on 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 this this role, uh, which is really nice. Um, you know, we have a lot of nighttime meetings, after, you know, evening and uh, weekend obligations. You know, I think uh, I have, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 regular monthly meetings of some kind, whether it's a neighborhood association or business association. So that takes me, you know, out of the home, you know, almost half the evenings uh, <laughs> of the week. Um, and so to be able to balance that and, 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 and kind of you know, during the day, find time to do other things is really, really important. And and it's given me an opportunity to really focus on the issues. 
How do you – so I'm always fascinated when someone has a job like you do where you, you kind of have to be on all the time and ready to go. How do you get yourself in the zone every day? <laughs> I don't know. I just sort of wake up in it. Um, I, I really do love this job, so it's not like I have to fight to get in the zone. I find myself when I go um, out of town or on vacation just answering emails. I try not <laughs> to answer them all, but, uh, you know, finding – I'm just, you know, very, very curious about what's going on. Um, you asked about the culture wars and that sort of thing. And, and those big issues, those national issues, are important to me as a human being. But honestly, um, the local issues, the municipal government issues, these are the things that drive me, making our government work better here locally. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of... Um, uh, there's a lot of value to talking about some of those bigger issues, but my, I truly believe a municipal government should be focused on the core responsibilities of a municipal government. And getting too far outside of that means we're going to fail at the things that we need to be doing. Um, and so it's it's critically important to me to focus on those those things that may not be the sexiest, may not get the biggest headlines, but your trash pickup, you know, the, the, the how we're going to pave streets and how we're going to really invest the limited amount of infrastructure dollars that we have and how we're going to refocus and recenter um, our city, our region uh, into our downtown and the, the areas that um, really need to be strengthened to have a strong regional economy. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're really not performing. You know, in the last census, I, I was looking at the numbers uh, just randomly last night. You know, out of 798 cities, we're, we're 797, you know, as far as growth goes. We've lost almost 3% of our population in the last two years in a row. That is an unprecedented population and tax base loss here in the city of St. Louis. And and if you live in St. Charles, you may not think that that's super important to you. But if we don't have a strong regional core, we are going to continue to stagnate as a region for decades to come. And this is going to be a real problem, not only for us today, but for our children, our grandchildren, and for the future, the viability of St. Louis as a thriving community. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. So in your opinion, what's our biggest obstacle keeping us from performing? I think doing the job seriously of our city government. I mean, I really think we have an incredible and unprecedented set of assets here in the city of St. Louis. Um, Our history, our culture, the location being on. I mean, 
being on the largest river in the United States. I get goosebumps every single time I talk about how incredible the asset uh, portfolio of St. Louis is. It really is unprecedented. Cities that are growing like Nashville would kill to have the built environment, a railway exchange building like we have here in St. Louis, a national monument in the heart of downtown, which has seen an incredible amount of investment around there. Um, you know, as far as the, 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 the grounds of the arch themselves. Um, but we have, you know, failed in many ways to capitalize on those things. Our riverfront um, by by many city standards, is dead. Um, and we haven't revitalized and brought people down to those assets in a way that is regular beyond just the games and the concerts and things like that. We need to have a a, a bustling downtown community, that core that we can center around, rally around, that people from around the nation, around the world can point to as, as, the, as the center of our community. What do you think we're lacking downtown? Like, if you could snap your fingers and hey, this is what we need, this is where the the vacancy is, what would you do? I mean, I think really the perception of crime um, and safety, um, and some of that is reality. Uh, You know, there has been some... Some real, uh, I think, impressive work done by volunteer organizations looking at uh, policing per capita, per crime in our downtown area, getting serious about addressing some of those quality of life issues. I mean, we have Airbnbs running amok. We have uh, traffic and, you know, uh, cruising and, and violence. I think that, you know, the gun proliferation in our communities has been a really big problem. Um, I'm really proud to be part of uh, reining in the open carrying of firearms early this year, I think it's making a big difference in the in the uh, the scene weapons um, in our downtown and in our neighborhoods, which is making a difference. Um, but you know those perceptions are really important. But I also think that just having you know I would love to see uh, food trucks, vendors, regular opportunities to eat, drink, and have a good time on our riverfront. I, I'm really impressed with some of the organization around the landing and the work that's been going on there. I'm looking forward to a few new spots coming in this fall, which I think will just really help to revitalize um, what is the entertainment district closest to our national monument. And it's a really important one. So turning to social media for a second, um, I was looking at your Twitter account in prepping for the interview, and you are by no means a flamethrower, but I did see you get (laughs) into the mix a couple of times. I'm just curious, when do you choose to ignore and when do you choose to engage when people are coming after you? Sure. Yeah, I mean, typically tend to ignore because it's too much to kind of engage with on a regular basis. And I think it takes, I think it takes your kind of uh, focus off what you sh- what what I should be doing anyway, which is uh, which is working with real people and, and not Twitter trolls. But I do tend to I do choose to engage when I think it's uh, a value. You know, I mean. When there's accusation, you know, I, I withstand a lot of accusations and falsehoods, but um, at some point, you know, there's just a breaking point. But I think it's really important to make sure that I'm only engaging in a way that I think moves the dialogue forward. Um, you know, I try not to engage in anything personal. Um, sometimes it's a matter of clearing up the record or just, you know, putting my foot down once in a while. But, um, but um, you know, for the most part, I stay, I try to stay above the fray. Do you ever feel like a political target? Oh, absolutely. I mean, sometimes, yeah, I mean, certainly I, I think I am a political target. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, I think that comes with a job. I, I don't let it bother me too much. I think one, one of the things I kind of like to use as a gauge is if it's bothering me too much, then, uh, you know, I may think it's time to look the other way mm. and kind of try to redirect uh, energy and focus in, in more productive and constructive ways. So you're a single mom. How do you balance that with being an older person? Oh, well, I have a 12-year-old. Um, my son, Cy, uh, 
Uh, it goes to uh, uh, McKinley Middle School um, uh, and uh, here in the city of St. Louis. And and so, uh, boy, that 7, 7 a.m. drop-off time is right in the middle of workout hour for me, so that's tough. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I have really great parents. My mom, Patty, and my dad, Bob, uh, who live in the area, help out a tremendous amount. Um, they pick Sai, my son, up from school most days. Uh, we have other friends with whom he goes home from school sometimes. So it takes a village. Um, I'm lucky to have a good support system um, and a really, really, really understanding kid um, who um, gets involved and engaged and, and is, is, is just kind of naturally curious about what I do and, and, and the world around him. So it's easy to focus on everything that's going wrong in St. Louis. Um, what are we getting right? What are we just killing right now? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I think a lot of things are going really well. Um, you know, we have got a tremendous amount of energy through um, the Central Corridor, like I said, with um, the soccer stadium. Um, I'm excited to see the, some of the development around NGA. Um, you know, the good development group down here along the landing, I think, or excuse me, just south of the arch uh, along the Shoto's uh, landing um, is really, really exciting. I think we're getting some of those things right. And I think, too, you know, kind of um, I don't agree with everything that the Board of Aldermen is doing, maybe the, the sort of extreme nature of things. But I do think that kind of trying to, um, you know, think about things differently is uh, is is a good thing and, and kind of focusing on, um, you know, uh, at least trying to get some policy done, I think, is a good thing. So I think we're getting those things right. Um, you know, I would like to see us focus on, you know, five, 10 year plans uh, that look like which streets we're going to pave and how we're going to get, you know, how we're going to make sure that we have enough trash trucks and the, the, the actual infrastructure we need to get things done. So I'd kind of like to, you know, shift some of that energy into maybe more boring, but but certainly more um, um Day to day government go- governance uh, activity, kind of practical things that anyone can point at and say, like, oh, they got that done for us. Absolutely. I mean, those are things that I think are the bread and butter of a city government, and and um, <laughs> we've got to get those things right. So, but you know, there's a lot going for St. Louis right now. Um, you know, there's certainly we are culinary. Um, you know, the, the restaurants that are opening, it's it's just amazing. Some of the things that that's really going on in the undercurrent, the the musicians. I mean, I'm going out, you know, once a week to see a live music show, and and um, and really really enjoying uh, being being a part of you know just regular St. Louis. So this is my final question, Kara. What are you most proud of in your political career so far? <laughs> and can you, sh- I guess it's a two-pronged question. And can you share with us your next big goal? Well, I, I don't know that I have one big one. I'm certainly uh, really proud of fighting the privatization of the airport. But, you know, shifting wards, um, you know, I get calls every single day from from several, lots of residents, um, but many of my old 20th, resi- 20th ward residents and helping people that uh, don't otherwise have access to government, helping them figure out and navigate the simple things of life um, and having that, um, you know, reaffirmation, reaffirmation that, you know, people still continue to call me. Being reelected with 70, 80 percent of the vote is just such an incredible feeling. Um, and, and, and a lot of it is policy oriented, but a lot of it is just, you know, the relationships you build over time and, 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 and being able to serve people. Um, in a way that um, makes their lives better. So I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of that, and I, I really love doing it. My Kay. next big step, you asked? Yes, please. <laughs> well, um, well, I'm going to continue to serve. I mean, I think there's going to be some 
Yeah, there's certainly there's um, uh, opportunities in the future. But right now, my focus really is getting through this legislative session, getting some of the big things done, uh, the gun legislation we passed this summer. But, you know, the uh, other things that we're working on are really important to me. And I think as far as other big things go, uh, we'll be taking a look at those uh, early this spring. Kara Spencer, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Yeah, of course. It was fun to be here. Thanks for tuning in to The Rachel Zimmerman Show. Now on with our replays for our best of show this week. This next interview is with Andy Karanziff. He's the owner of Crown Candy Kitchen. I'm Andy Karanziff, owner of Crown Candy Kitchen. Um, I have been doing this for the last 40-something years in our family business. Crown Candy was established in 1913 by my grandfather, Harry. Um, It was just a candy store, an ice cream store at one point, and then in the 20s, my Grandfather put food in there also, so that is where we, you know, become a kind of threefold business where we're ice cream, candy, and a restaurant. My grandfather retired due to health reasons in 1951. My father took it over then. Uh, I had a, two older brothers, uh, Mike, who passed away almost mm, 11 years ago now, and then my brother Tom, who's uh, retired, he retired to take care of my mother, who was sick with dementia. Mm. She re- recently passed in um, January. Thank you. Um, but now it is myself, my wife Sherry, and then I've got uh, a couple nieces that are working for us now. So we still have a family connection. I've got a, I've got a few people that have been there for 15, 20, 25 years. So we are all kind of family. So it's been a family business on that corner for 110 years. And we live upstairs, Sherry and I do, so it's uh, it's lovely not to have to drive to work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even when I'm not at work, I'm at work, so that's always a little bit of a challenge for me sometimes. But, yeah, my brothers and I took it over in 91. We've run it ever since, and it just has fallen into my lap. I'm the youngest, so uh, it is a great joy to do this, and it is also uh, very stressful and very hard sometimes, especially in today's world. Yeah. But I wouldn't do anything different. And, you know, we're not going nowhere. We're staying right in that corner. We're not moving. That's where we belong. This is our neighborhood. And, you know, this is just who we are. So it's obviously heavily a family business. Did you always know this is what you would end up doing or did you ever think about doing anything else? Well, I spent six months at Florissant Valley uh, drinking Diet Dr. Pepper and eating (laughs) cheese fries and pretending I was going to college. And I realized, no, this isn't going to work for me. So I thought I took the easy way out and went to work down at the store. It was great. You know, I was young and, you know, got to work and made some decent money and, you know, kind of could do whatever I wanted. And then, you know, over the years, responsibility and and you kind of all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and you realize that this is really important and you really have to be in it. So... You know, I've had a few aha moments in my life where I realized how important Crown Candy is to our family, but how much more important it is to the community mm-hmm. that we're in. So it, it is, uh, it's like I said, it's a great pleasure to do this and enjoy, but there's some days when I just want to run away and go live on an island somewhere. You talk about that aha moment. Do you think that's common for people who work in restaurants? Like they just kind of get into it and then they they fall in love with it at a certain point? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there. This is a hard industry. I don't care if you're working for you know a family business or a corporate you know a chain or or whatever. This to to be in this business, you've really got to be dedicated to it. You've got to love it because if you wake up one day and you realize this isn't for you, then you need to move on and and go find whatever your passion is. 
because we have so many highs, but we also have so many lows when we do this. You know, the, the long days, the long nights, you know, the, the difficult customers, the difficult employees, the difficult bosses. But but that's just the, that's the bad part. You know, the joys of it. You know, I I get so much, you know, it makes me so happy when I'm working and I have, you know, a, a lady that's been coming into our store for 50 or 60 or 70 years. And she tells me this is the neighborhood I grew up in, grew up in. This is my first job. Your grandfather or father gave me this job, wow. and I'm so glad you're still here. And that's what really kind of – that can wash away all the bad stuff in a heartbeat. It just it makes it all worthwhile to have these stories, you know, and, that, and that's what we're all about is, you know, being there for everybody and being consistent and taking care of people. So you've been doing this for over 40 years. How is the restaurant different from when you started? And what do you think is the biggest difference post-COVID? So the business has obviously increased over the years. You know, it it used to be strictly, we were open to 10 o'clock at night. So, you know, we had people living down there. You had people working downtown. You had people going downtown for a lot of stuff. And that is one thing that has really changed over the last few years is that after 5 o'clock at night, there's hardly anything going on. There's no draw for people to come downtown, and and it hurts because you know we used to have a good thriving nighttime business, but it's just not viable anymore. Mm-hmm. Part of that problem also is the fact that we don't have enough employees. I need to hire two people. We've been trying for six months, and we can't. We get interviews, but nobody shows up. So, and we're all in that same boat. We're all struggling to find employees. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. You know, it's just a different world. And I, people want to blame COVID, and maybe that's that's part of it. But I think there's a lot of factors that are involved in that. It's just the world has changed the way we do business, the way people earn money. It just has um, made things a little bit more interesting for all of us. I go back to thinking about my father when he ran the place. And I was a you know a teenager, and he would have all these business people come in, and he'd have all the politicians come in, and he'd have all the movers and shakers would come in for lunch, and they'd go back and visit my dad, and you know they'd have these conversations, and I would you know get to listen and and, and to see you know how my father was working in the room and and making friends and taking care of people. So that's where I think I get a lot of it from, from my dad is, you know, you got to take care of your customers. You got to take care of everybody, whether they're really important or whether they're just, you know, the the guy that lives down the street or the mom who lives down the street, you take care of everybody. Mm -hmm. You treat them all the same, but it's definitely a harder business since COVID. Like I said, we're struggling with, you know, employees, getting people to come downtown is a little bit of a struggle now for us all because, People have a perception. You go to the city, it's bad. Is it bad? Well, I can't deny it sometimes when you guys are reporting on how many homicides were ha- happen over the weekend, so that's hard to defend that. But it's also a great place. There's great people there. There's great architecture. There are great businesses down here. And, you know, we're all fighting the good fight, and we all choose to be here. So, you know, I that's like when people ask me, why don't you move? Why don't you go out to Chesterfield or St. Charles County? You'll do so much better. I said, no, this is this is our home. This is, you know, this neighborhood didn't give up on us and we won't give up on it. Take me through a typical morning opening up the restaurant. Well, I, I'm an early riser. So, you know what, four thirty, five o'clock, I'm up, feed the dogs, make a cup of coffee, get downstairs, get everything turned on, start waiting for my deliveries. And for the most part, they're all on time, but occasionally there's hiccups. Uh, 
it depends. I mean, depending on what time of year it is, I could be getting the chocolate machine cranked up right now and get ready to start making chocolate pumpkins and witches and turkeys and getting all that chocolate going for the holiday season. Um, but you never know because this morning I came in with that intention and I have to be working in the kitchen today because we're short two people. So that means I get to go in the kitchen. So, but it, you do what you got to do. Um, I can be down there and be making ice cream. I could be making chocolate syrup. I can be making hot fudge. There's, there's plenty of things to do. Just, you know, getting, getting things cleaned up and ready to go, getting things prepped, uh, waiting for my employees to show up and getting them in and getting them going and, you know, pumping them up for the day, you know, cause that's part of the, it's part of the process you got to take care of everybody, you know, take care of your employees and, you know, they're important without them. We don't go they We might be the, uh, the vehicle, but they're the engine that drives us. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's talk about the security cameras because I follow you on Twitter and you'll often post video of what's going on in the intersection outside of Crown Candy and the, you know, people blowing past the stop sign. What what made you decide to put those cameras up? What made you decide to start posting? The cameras are just kind of a natural thing, unfortunately, that now we, you know, we put them up just because if for security for our customers, for my employees and for the for the business. Um, I don't know how much good they do because I don't know how much people really care about if they're on camera nowadays or not because obviously, you know, people do dumb stuff and they get caught on camera all the time. Uh, I put them up just for that reason. And then it just dawned on me, I don't know how many years ago when I started doing this, that I'm going to take this video off of the uh, security security footage and I'm going to post this, you know, this knucklehead that's going 50 or 60 miles an hour down St. Louis Avenue and blowing through the stop signs with no regard for anybody else. And it's just kind of taken on a life of its own where, you know, I've had people passing on the wrong side of the road. I've had people passing in the uh, parking lane. I've had, you know, crashes in that intersection. Thankfully, nobody got seriously hurt in any of those, you know, those instances. Uh, so now I just and I actually I actually have to have a standard now because if, if they're going too slow through the stop sign, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> they want to see the people going forty or fifty or sixty miles an hour driving like a real idiot. So, so if I if I get information from my employees who text me random times like two thirty two red car, I'll go find it on the video and I'll post it, and it gets a lot of attention. But it's also kind of sad because it's kind of the state of our world. I mean, we don't own that. The city of St. Louis doesn't own it. It's there's bad drivers everywhere. It's just I'm fortunate or unfortunate to have cameras out there to capture them. And you've petitioned for change, but it hasn't happened yet. No, I've I've well, I have you know, ask and, you know, I I would love to have whether it's speed humps or bump out curbs or flashing stop signs or something to just kind of help, you know, reduce the amount of people driving like knuckleheads. But so far I've gotten a lot of, we're working on it, we're working on it, we're working on it. And I've got nothing really to show from it. So I just kind of, you know, carry on and see what happens and just keep going about taking care of what I can take care of. It's a very positive attitude. You have to. I mean, you, I, I mean, we all, like I said, we have our highs and lows here and I get, I walk out the door some mornings and there's a bar a block away from us and, you know, they might have a good busy night and they're, they're good neighbors. So, you know, I don't have any issue with them, but unfortunately I come out and their cars of their patrons have been broken into. So I see, broken glass. And I see, you know, it just makes me sad. I, I see the uncut grass. I see the, you know, the build, buildings that aren't being taken care of. 
and it, it wears you down. It's just, you know, I've always wanted to be an optimist, but sometimes I'm also a realist. It's like, you know, we're, we didn't fall apart overnight. We're not going to get fixed overnight. It's not this mayor's fault. It's not the last mayor's fault. It's just something that's happened to the city where I guess we got a little bit apathetic and we got used to uh, the decline and the decay. And, you know, we fight the fight and people are trying to do what they can. But I see some some neighborhoods like Soulard and the Hill, they get speed humps and, and they get, you know, streets repaved. And then I see our neighborhood and, you know, we, we've got overgrown grass and, and vacant lots that look, you know, terrible. And I think, well, this is – what kind of message does this send when people come from out of town to us because we're a destination for a lot of tourists. So this is the takeaway they take. They might come down and have a great lunch and a fabulous time, but then they leave and they drive past all of this. And these corridors are important. It, it leaves an impression on people. It's like, oh, my God, we went to this great place. But it was in this awful area. And I'm just like, that's not exactly a ringing endorsement. So we, we struggle with that. But I'm fortunate, guess what? People get past it and they still come see us. But I would just like it to be a little bit better for everybody. When we come back, part two of our interview with Andy Karanzif of Crown Candy Kitchen. Thanks for listening to the Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. Now it's time for part two of our interview with Andy Karanzif from Crown Candy Kitchen. I often see you lifting up other restaurants in St. Louis. How important is that sense of community to you? Oh, it's huge. I mean, especially, I mean, all of them, but especially the ones in the city that are fighting the same fight that we're fighting. You know, a lot of these people are my friends and, you know, we're fortunate that we've got 110 years of history behind us. So I've got a pretty good client or, you know, customer base. So I'm fortunate, even in some downtimes, people will always be there to support us. You know, for some of these places that are new and they're great and they're, and they're really cool, you got to put the word out. You've got to get people to come down and patronize them because I, I want them to succeed. You know, I can remember years ago when people didn't want people to succeed because I want the business. I don't want you to be successful. I want to be the one who's successful. Now, you know, that's one of the greatest things about our St. Louis restaurant community is how we all support each other, how we, you know, we'll, we'll collaborate or we'll just, you know, support them by whether it's, you know, going down there and, and, and spending money with them or, you know, taking them out and, and spend, you know, getting them drunk because they had a rough day or, or, uh, just publicizing them, putting them out there. I'm fortunate that I have, you know, a lot of people on Twitter that follow me. So when I tell you this is a good place to go eat, it's a good place to go eat. We kind of touched on this when you were talking about watching your dad run the restaurant, but but what is your philosophy overall when it comes to food and when it comes to service? Well, I learned it from my father. You give people a good quality product, you take care of those people, and they will come back. So you want to be consistent. And, you know, I used to be the joke is change is a bad thing around crowns because people want the egg salad to taste exactly like the egg salad that always tastes. They want the BLT to be the, the way it always has been. They want, you know, the chocolate shake to taste the same. So things don't change a whole lot down there. You know, we might tweak things a little bit, but for the most part, it's it's consistent. And you take care of everybody. You, you know, like I said, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, they walk through those doors. They came here to give us they're hard-earned money, so I want to make sure they have the best experience. I want them to, you know, have good food, good ice cream, good candy, a good experience. And, you know, we do that, and, you know, and, I, and that starts with my – with me. It starts with my attitude and, and how I – my mood affects everybody. So if I come into work and I'm 
crabby and grouchy, and that's I used to be a lot more like that than I am now. Now I'm a little bit more mellow, even though people are probably going to chuckle when they hear that. Um, but you've got to spread the positive energy. So you got to make sure your employees are all in a good place because they're my ambassadors. So they're the ones who are out there in front taking care of my customers. And so it's kind of symbiotic. We need each other. And I'm very fortunate that I have great employees and I'm very fortunate that I have great customers. So this goes back to two simple things, you know, take care of your customers and give them a good quality product. You talk about kind of mellowing out. Is that something that you think just happened naturally, just living life? Or was there something that spurred that on? Um, I think it's just kind of happened. It's just uh, you know, the older I got, the older I get, the smarter my father looks or is. So, you know, you, you don't take into account some of the stuff they tell you when you're younger because we know everything. But then you realize when you get older that, you know, there's a different way to do things. There's a better way to treat people. There's, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, hard work, but there's also something to be said for taking a step back and maybe giving people an extra day off. That's something we never used to do. We never used to close. Now, obviously COVID changed that for all of us, but even now I'll give my employees an extra day off just because I think, you know what, you guys are fried. We've all been working hard. It's time to, you know, take a break, give you an extra day to, you know, recharge and then get back at it. Yeah, I, I saw you tweet around Labor Day that you guys were closing just for the sake of your mental health, and that was just something you needed to do. Yeah, that and that's it. It's, it I gave them an opportunity to have three days off. So, and they all, they all, you know, I, I take a poll and I say, well, "What do you guys want to do?" And I think sometimes they're a little afraid to say, "We want to close," but they're not no more. Now they appreciate the same thing. You know, it's like this is a take advantage of it, and you know, do nothing, do something, you know, but but just don't come to work, and and just relax and get ready to go for the next day. Okay, my final question, Andy. Uh, you guys are such a legacy. Tell me about some of the famous people who have come in and some of the coolest things that have happened while you were working. Um, well, I mean, probably one of the most famous people was Bill Murray. I think it was back in the early 2000s. They were, f or maybe, the, no, probably the late 1990s. They were filming a movie here, Larger Than Life, and they were filming because of the flooding. So I guess it was 93, maybe. And I looked up one day on a Wednesday afternoon and Bill Murray's walking through the front door and I was like, huh, he's taller than I thought he'd be. <laughs> and he was real nice. And he came in and, you know, he got a malt and got some candy and, you know, we talked for a little bit and then off he went. But then he sent his uh, assistant back in and he says, I want to buy malts for the entire staff. And I'm like, cool. How many do you need? He says, about a hundred. So um, I spent the next couple hours making a hundred malts for the entire crew. So that was one of the cool things that that happened. Um, we've had, you know, and back in the good old days when Jerry Berger was alive, he would bring down celebrities. I mean, we had um, Carol Channing, Tony Curtis, Marvin Hamlish, a lot of these people that are, you know, that they don't recognize those names nowadays, but they were a big deal back then. Um, we've had, you know, the local TV people come in, the radio people come in, you know, politicians come in. Uh, you know, I never forget my dad, you know, one time he pointed at a guy and he says, that guy there, I said, yeah, he says, he knows where a lot of bodies are buried. And I do think he meant bodies, but, <laughs> but, uh, I'm like, it's interesting that he could have the chief of police in and he could have, uh, you know, the fire chief in, and then he could have, you know, some other people that maybe weren't exactly on the right side of the, but it just, the the dichotomy of the people that come into our business. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, more, more recently, um, uh, 
Ina Garten came in. Um, I think that was uh, thanks to Danny Meyer, sent her down to uh, have lunch with us. So she was really nice. Um, one of the biggest ones and coolest ones was having Adam Richmond from Man vs. Food come in. He came in. It was funny. They called us, and it was the first season. They said, we want to do this show, and we're filming people doing this guy doing food challenges. I'm like, sure, whatever. That's great. Come on down. And then they called and said, well, we can't make it. The scheduling's not working. I said, okay, whatever. No big deal. And then they called me like three days later, and they said, we are coming down. It'll be on you know, blah, blah, blah this day. And so they just showed up with this film crew right before Christmas when we were really busy. And uh, he came in and tried to drink five milkshakes in a half an hour. And he was a really nice guy. The crew was great. Um, my staff loved it. It was, you know, this, it was exciting for them to meet, you know, uh, 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 be on TV also because they got some airtime. Um, he unfortunately uh, failed. He only drank four and a half malts because it didn't take my advice. Always <laughs> drink vanilla. Don't mix up the flavors. Mm-hmm. Just drink, keep it simple. Uh so he, then he was leaving after failing, and I gave him a BLT because he looked like death. I said, you're going to be hungry in about a half an hour. Eat this BLT. You'll feel better. Two years later, I get a phone call. He wants to come back down and film Best Sandwich in America. And, you know, he, he came in, and once again, he was a great guy. We had a great time. Uh, we did not win. We lost to Al's Hot Italian Beef in that episode. But he said that BLT saved my life, and I always knew that if we ever do something else, I'm going to come back and film it. So, you know, I learned that from my father. You take care of people, and, and maybe it comes back to you, you know, and maybe it doesn't, but it just it's the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I love my free publicity. I love I love that limelight of, oh, look, the celebrities here, but I also appreciate the guy that works down the fa- at the factory that comes by and gets his chili before he goes to work or the, the mom who comes in after school with her two kids and gets some ice cream cones. That's, that's the reason we're still there. You know, it's, it's not the celebrity factor. It's the uh, everyday person factor that keeps us going. Well, Andy Candy, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. All right, guys, that's the show this week. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, if you don't already, at Rachel ZSTL. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have an amazing weekend. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 